Love Nick Saban's line. Well, what does that mean? That means that if you let a mediocre person uh, recruit, what are you going to get? You're going to get a mediocre person. So you can't let that happen. So your your person who recruits has got to have self-confidence, has got to understand the difference between mediocre and uh, high achievers. And we like the concept. I've taught the concept for years that when you're going through interviewing processes or you're going through trying to find team members – you really want to push the heck out of them in the free interview process to see if they can hold up and and don't just buy the facade, you know, really check their background, really understand their history and just and make sure that they're a high achiever. And what that means, by the way, is that they're coachable. And so right now I'm teaching all my clients, listen, if if the greatest, you know, the most important thing is people are coachable. So if you hired us to work with your team and your team said, oh, great, let's do it, they're coachable. If they started going, I don't want to be trained, I don't, they're, they're not coachable. And you have to understand that you want to build an organization with coachable people. Like, yeah, tell me what to do, you know, and I'll go do it. So first thing we want to understand is that. Second thing, you know, we kind of look at this. So uh, there was a great so we we uh, being in Atlanta obviously this is the corporate headquarters of Chick Fil A which a lot of you know that company we had um, uh, their human resource person one of their marketing people speak at our, one of our last big events that were instrumental in building up Chick Fil A over the years and they've subsequently left and. And, you know, Chick-fil-A is so cool because if you've never been to Chick-fil-A, you got to go to Chick-fil-A. Number one, the food is really good. But the most impressive thing about Chick-fil-A is the people who work at Chick-fil-A. So they, you know, say my pleasure. They're so polite, so kind. And they're the same people that work at McDonald's who don't behave that way. So, so it's so bizarre, right? And so if you – like I would look to hire people who worked at Chick-fil-A because interestingly enough, there's a standard there and there's some things that if they can survive in Chick-fil-A, they might be good for your office, right? So Chick-fil-A did a um, – we were uh, connected with their director of um, personnel and he wrote a book and we had him come in and speak. He was nice enough to do that and – I think he just spoke and I donated money to his foundation or something. And so he was sharing with us that um, Chick-fil-A had engaged uh, on a particular study. And what they wanted to know was, well, why, you know, they thought about it. And it was like they wanted to know what a talented person wanted in a job because it isn't just about the job. It's about the culture. So they embarked on a study and I'm going to share with you what the highlights of that. And then I want you to figure out if you're checking any of these boxes. And not just, you know, it's not about, you know, you don't want to assume you're checking this box because these boxes are kind of heavy. So, you know, I can't say that every one of these boxes, I'm working on all three of these things all the time. And I'm working on clients to not be blind to these things. So they, they did a study. It was something like 7,000 people, 50 states, all economic backgrounds. 
and they they wanted to know what they were looking for, what high achievers or top talent wanted. They didn't want to know what the bottom people wanted because it's really uninstructive. It's kind of like why, you know, you guys, <laughs> I can't tell you how many practices are driven around the worst patient, right? That's why everything we try to do with the people at your front desk is to say, listen, if you get a, if your worst patient says something, suck it up, say next, move on down the road. Don't restructure your whole life because of, you know, it's like if a person who only wants to do what their health insurance pays for, and then you think it's a good idea to cater to that client, that is ASS backwards. <laughs> okay. Like, come on. Like, that's not how we do it, right? That is not how we do it. We do it. What is my best client want? And most businesses have this the wrong way. I mean, mine gets inverted sometimes. Like you got to go back to it. So same thing here. You need to be concentrated not on what, you know, what the mediocre team member wants, but the best. And so here's what they said. Number one, they wanted a better boss. So what you need to understand right now about your recruiting, by the way, here's why I'm sharing this list with you. There's two ways you can use this. Number one, if you want to keep good talent, you got to do this. So every day I need to be a better boss. Every day you need to be a better boss. Come on. What does that mean? Well, maybe that means after you're really tired all day, instead of putting your head down and walking out the door and just being like, uh, you make that little extra effort and you do or say something that's very incredibly positive to somebody. And you make sure that you say, Hey, you did great today. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see you tomorrow. I mean, it's as simple as that. Sometimes, sometimes it's coaching them, but they want a better boss and they want the kind and here's, here's what's interesting. The kind of boss that cares about his or her employees, constantly engages with their efforts and is a competent leader. Now, depending on the size of your organization, you know, the challenge with this is that I could get pretty good at this. Then as my business grows and I hire managers and let people do it, I now got to remember that if I let somebody manage people, I'm also responsible for that, that relationship too. And I have the hardest time getting people to understand that. Everybody thinks when you appoint a leader that all of a sudden they're a great boss. That's not true. That is not true. So you may have an office manager who you think is doing a stellar job and you may not find out, you know, the last, by the way, Every time you lose a person, here's what I want you to do. If you lost a person, pick up the telephone, call them, kindly say, would you have a couple of minutes? I just, I wanted to ask you some things and I want you to really be honest with me and transparent and, you know, maybe I wasn't the greatest boss and I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry things didn't work out, but I, I would really love some, if you could just share with me um, anything that would be helpful about why you decided to leave and, and was there anybody or anything that, you know, I should, that, that I might be missing and, and you need to check on whether or not these people are being managed correctly or not. So I, I, the, the worst thing I've ever seen in offices is, you know, when there's this powerful office manager and, and usually it's a she 
And she's like a version of a tyrant. You know, it's like, you better not tell the doctor that. You know, they hide things from the doctor. The doctor, and every time, you know, it's like, and the doctor's convinced that, you know, Mary's the do-all, be-all. But it turns out that everybody doesn't even like Mary. She's just a B-I-T-C-H. And sometimes they find out, I had a client the other day who said, I lost three people. And every time I lose somebody, the office manager said, oh, they weren't very good. Oh, they weren't very good. Well, why did you have them on the payroll if they weren't very good? So the truth was that they didn't like the office manager. <laughs> so again, it gets hard to ferret, but, but are you a good boss? Come on. I mean, and, and you can't just say, yes, you got to be able to prove it. If I said that to you, I say, show me what you did. Show, tell me what you did. Tell me what you did last week. Tell me what you did yesterday. Tell me what you did the day before. So you want to engineer that environment. Now, remember, if I'm running an ad, the funny thing about this with doctors, by the way, come on. It's so stinking easy. If you go look around at how other, and I can tell you this, right? So I know most doctors don't treat their teams tremendously. So if you make an effort at this, if you train your people, if you put processes in place, you will do better than most people. You, you look around, find out how they're doing, and then you do better. So then the other thing, the two things that are important here is number one is relational versus transactional. So you want to develop a relate, not an inappropriate relationship, but you want to have a relationship. And so a lot of times when transactional, you know, it's the difference between, here's some examples, right? Professional is transactional. Friendly is relational. Self-interest, right, is transactional. Mutual interest is relational. Only focused on what I'm getting, focused on what I'm giving is relational. Conflict, transactional. Conflict resolution, relational. So grace, caring, kindness. It's like... Um, one of my favorite shows, I don't know why, is king of queens right and you think about it's funny they're the characters in that it's like the end of seinfeld right some of you don't know who seinfeld is but like great tv show and they the comedy was about being transactional right they and at the end of the show, they they did all they they replayed everything they did that was so horrible. They didn't think it was that horrible at the time. It was actually just sort of transactional stuff. It wasn't relational. And so, being the second one is building trust, and building trust is a big deal. Um, and the only way to build trust is to make commitments and keep them over long periods of time. And what a lot of people don't also know is that trust is, you know, a lot of people don't have, they don't trust anybody because they've been burned so many times and they walk around and say, everyone's going to burn me, everyone's going to burn me. So usually adopt that, that previous bad experience. So trust is critical in culture. Now, um, and it's interesting that there was Stephen Covey or one of the Coveys wrote a great book called The Speed of Trust, which I would highly recommend picking up and reading. Uh, it's the best book I've ever read on how to how a business person can begin to develop trust. And it's funny that 
you know, when we talk about talent management, you know, self-trust is the first form of trust. So if you walk around and say, I can't get good people, you know, you, why, yeah, you can't because you, you, you don't even believe you can do it yourself. You don't have any self-trust. And so everything, so what it would take for me, the first thing I have to do is to build your self-trust. And so if, you know, if you've struggled building a talented organization, you're frustrated with them, a lot of it probably deals with your lack of self-trust. And it probably deals with that you don't have the correct elevated vision. You just go from crisis to crisis to crisis, but you've never adopted the correct larger fix, which is actually to commit to developing a culture that you want in your organization and never allowing anyone in if they don't match the culture. I mean, it's so easy. I mean, I go to work. I don't have a bad, I don't, I'm not, in, I'm not encountered by a lot of people in my company don't understand. It's like, you know, one time we rented this building and there was other, we had this space and there was other people in it. And I would go like, you'd have to go to a common restroom. And I just remember I, I would like walk down the hall and be like, hello and wave. And the person would just put their head down. And I was like, what the heck is that? And I, we only spent six months in the building because I said, we got to get out of here. I just, I don't like going down to the bathroom and having to encounter a negative person. I found out later that there was a whole floor and the business was going bankrupt. And that was why they were all so depressed. But I went and bought a building. We moved into a building because I, I just, I couldn't, even, that's how, that's how, that's how much I couldn't stand being around that type of a culture. And other people just accept it as normal. So there is no normal. Okay, you hear me? There, no, there's, there's the culture you've decided. And, it, and if you've not decided to build one, then you have a default culture, which will look more like the culture outside the world, not what you want to have. So, like, I don't want to work with people who make excuses. I don't want to work with people who are, uh, have bad attitudes. I don't want to – I mean, there's a lot of things I have no interest in. So, in my company, you don't really you – don't, you don't tend to encounter that on any kind of regular basis. Now, sometimes I mess with them and say they can be too nice. But I, honestly, I'd rather have too nice than a bad attitude. So – Self-trust then goes to relationship trust, then to organizational trust. And I'm not going to go through all these, but think about that. Self-trust, relational trust, which is what you're trying to develop, that's an individual, and then you go to organization, okay? So, look, there's a lot that goes into this, but hands down, everything's faster with trust. They've done studies talking about the fact that how mistrust uh, actually uh, completely makes everything take longer and cost more. Okay, number two. So they want a brighter future. And here's specifically what they summed it up to. Companies that enable employees to gain the skill and the experience they need to realize their ambitions and achieve a promising future appeal to top employees. Now, listen, not every job, this is why practices have to grow. A lot of people don't understand that. I learned this very early on. I was like, well, if you're going to have four team members in a practice and you're never going to build a new building, okay, there's no bright future for anyone here. This is depressing. 
I mean, if you're still sitting in a four-op building and you've been there for 50 years, the place is depressing. I mean, there's no question. And the reason why you cycle people is that the business isn't growing. And so it, the challenge is how do you grow the business so that people can develop? Um, so if you go to like a 5X highly engaged, we'll call it, a, let's go to a 5X CEO member. And when you walk into their office, they should say something like this. You know, they would say, okay, now we are a, culture is important to us. We do enormous amounts of training. As a matter of fact, we have trainers come into our office as many as five, six, sometimes eight times a year. We train on different areas. So wherever you work, you're going to get advanced training. We send people to a university. I mean, uh, here's our courses. Like people who are good want to know that that exists because it, they want guardrails for their behavior. You know, when you go into most offices, that's not the kind of stuff that they're going to have on the wall. Um, they want to be challenged. So you have to challenge them and you have to champion their professional growth. So all the years I've run a university for team members for 10 years, it's getting relaunched for 2022. We're full this year, but in 2022, we'll have a, a program that, you know, you guys may see stuff on the Leadership Institute. And, and you know, when you think about that, what we've learned is that if you teach, like we have something called the SI wave, which is where basically I say, listen, we're going to teach you principles for successful living and principles for successful living. Uh, they work at the office and they work at home. <laughs> so when you think about, and I remember over the, over the years, every time I meet a staff member, like, so if you let us certify a team member and they were to come to an event, I meet them, they come up to me and they say, Jay, you know, I just want you to know that, you know, I, I just, my job is so much more fun now and I feel so much more productive. But, you know, it's weird. I, I've also been able to apply a lot of this to my personal life, you know, and they're thinking that they like, you know, they're, they're wanting to confess it. And, and you know, I go, that's fantastic. And, of course, the whole time I'm thinking, well, that's yes, that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's what this is about. So uh, if it's teaching your team members about money is teaching them about how to make correct decisions, how to treat people. All of those are basic life skills and that should be performed that way in the office, creating more value as opposed to taking more. Okay. And the third one, sake of time, I got to move a little quicker here. The, th the third one is a bigger vision. So the most capable job prospects want to work at a company where they can make a difference. And they prefer to be part of something important, meaningful, and worthwhile. So, you know, one of the things that we do and you should do is that anytime you get a patient testimonial, you should circulate it. And like, I'm just thinking about we're not doing as good a job. I have hundreds and hundreds of letters. I have a hundred letters from post-pandemic letters from clients saying, man, you were just, I mean, I honestly, they were, pretty, they were pretty flattering. They were like, you helped me so much and I didn't realize it and I just want to thank you. And, and so the, 
that's the meaningfulness of the work. You know, when, when we go into an office and we, and if a client has a horrible culture and a year later they've totally changed their culture and the client says, man, I want to thank you. You know, we have a totally new team. And it's like, and he's like, it took a little longer than I thought. I said, well, how long? A year. I said, okay, good. So it's kind of like, listen, that, that's super meaningful work. So the, imagine what it feels like when, if I could get you to get this message and I could get you to actually have a great culture that you're proud of, I mean, what great work. And so you, what I notice about doctors is that we end up getting so fixated on, you know, like the technical part of delivering the pro the service that we forget why somebody buys it, you know, and it's like, man, you guys got to get back to, you know, if, and I've done some makeovers for people over the years that I'd met who I thought were nice people and I would send them to the dentist and pay for them to get new teeth. And, and I watched their complete life transformation. And I always think about a teenager who gets their teeth straightened out and maybe they're going to get a better job. And, you know, I was talking to somebody about the other day and I was saying that, you know, the smile is your is like your billboard. And now imagine a person who the only reason they can't smile is that they have crooked, ugly teeth or whatever, whatever, and they're un, they have self-consciousness and so they never smile. And But they're this beautiful person inside. And so this is where I sometimes I, I get a little – I get a little disappointed in offices that don't, that don't spend time bringing the clients back – and having the client describe what it meant to them. You know, for 25 years, I've had clients come to me and they would say, Jay, you know, you've, you know, I, I went five times. It took me four years. I went five times. We grew the practice five times. You know, you said it and it did it. And, and, but they will say, but you know what? I say, you know what? That's great. But you did something else for me. And I said, well, what? And they go like, I had to be honest, I'm a different person. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. Um, sometimes they say, you know, I went through a divorce, but I'm much happier. I mean, I get everything. But that, I, I, you know, is like, I don't, that's what I work for. It's the impact of what we do. It's not just about, it's not, you know, the money doesn't do that. You know, so when you get paid, I mean, let's be honest, you know, I've been paid a lot of money over my life technically, but I don't, it's funny, like I, 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 I would take, I would, the money doesn't have the same effect as what I was describing. I mean, I could read you, I have hundreds of letters, tear jerking letters, right? I mean, clients give me a lot of credit for stuff and that is the work that my team members so you know they'll the 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 client calls and complains okay we we all get those we all have something like that but so you got to make sure that your work becomes meaningful again and and it's funny i've i've gone into a lot of offices and looked and I said you know are you guys you know, are you just fixated on the insurance? Are you even even to the point of I did an event a couple of years ago in our university with financial coordinators, and I said to him, I said, so so, so okay, present your present me, and it's like they didn't even they didn't even bother to know why the person wanted a makeover. I was like, how can you take their money 
and not find out that their daughter is getting married and they want to get the makeover so that the so that the pictures of their daughter's wedding are better like how can you miss that because you actually didn't just fix their teeth you made their wedding this wedding day amazing for them how you can't miss that so they want to be part of that. And I think that a lot of what we do in almost every office we work with, it doesn't matter if it's a chiropractor or a veterinarian, a plastic surgeon, a dentist, orthodontist, podiatrist, whatever kind of office is, there's a level of work. You've got to get your, you know, sometimes the team members just come in and they, they don't realize that you do miracles, you know. So I just want to encourage you to get back to connecting them to the bigger vision. So those were the big three and those are not easy. So what is it that you can do? So how do you, you know, let's kind of let's kind of talk about some specific things, okay? So now culture, so it's defining culture and then committing to it and usually that requires 10 or 12 different things right so sometimes people partner with us to do the trainings uh sometimes they need to be involved so for instance you know like let's say you said i don't know where to go and you're saying well i want some help and so you call up my office get a coaching application and you know you've got a pretty good practice and you know, you, you say, okay, I want to sign up for 5X. Well, 5X is a group of people trying to take their practices five times larger. So immediately, if you can imagine, everything changes, right? So now you have to start, it's like, and, and it happens quicker than people realize. All of a sudden, they're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean, how do, what do, I, how do I make a decision? Well, it's very different when you're in 5X and you're not, right? You look at things completely different. Um, and so what happens is the next thing you know, over time, you have a 5X culture. And that culture is very different. Now, if you send people to the university, if you get trainings, that happens much faster. So the one thing you got to think about is what's driving you. So what is keeping you engaged? So for me, you know, um, I have to engineer a challenge, right? I have to engineer new goals. I have to engineer doing better at something. So like we have a group now that is the 5X CEO group that I'm leading. Uh, and these are doctors who don't want to treat patients anymore. And I'm working them into a full-time running their practice, building their doctor team, and so that's a fun new challenge for me. And I'm educating everyone I can about dental service organizations and their equity. And so that's a fun challenge for me to try to help people not be taken advantage of and to hold on to their equity and not to give it to somebody for a reason that doesn't make any sense, you know, like an incorrect reason to give it to them. So let's get to specifically some things that you want to, and in the last, and these would be things that I would be telling client, coaching clients in like, for instance, the last quarter. So one, and you write these down, is that you need to bring back team meetings. So a lot of people stopped having team meetings and team meetings are important. So if you haven't, I like a group meeting. Now, I don't care if you have to take them out to a park or whatever, but the idea is that you're, uh, the team loves to hear from you. And so most people 
today kind of owe their team. Uh, yesterday or a couple of days ago, I shot a video, uh, and it was like a quarterly review. So I couldn't do it in person, but it's a quarterly review. Just kind of t- giving some accolades to the team, telling them where we were for the quarter. You know, we we don't we meet from a few weeks, but just think about that you probably could use a team meeting. And one of the things in that team meeting is processing and, and sort of bearing whatever happened in the pandemic and based on whatever you did or didn't do. So like if you furloughed everybody and sent them home and then brought them back, guys, you shattered trust, man. I mean, I know you don't think so, but trust me, you got to be working at rebuilding that trust with your team because they may be out doing other things. I want you to review, right, write this down, review salaries, every single person, right? During the pandemic, I spent a lot of time looking at every single salary in the company. And, and you know, sometimes, um, so one technique for retention might be a raise. And so for certain people, that's that's justified. For others, it isn't. I think it's an individual thing. But if... What you would want to do is simply uh, get a list of all your people and know what their annual compensation is. And then, you know, if, 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 listen, if the person down the street is offering $2 more an hour and you lose them because of that, the thing I'm trying to say to you is really preemptively now, what you would do is you would give them preemptively a $2 raise. And, that's the better way to do it. it. It's too late once they've accepted the other job. Um, and remember, there are other things besides money. So money is certainly not the primary motivator. But listen, if if you know the last two people left, you said, well, I'm going down the street for more money. OK, how many more is it going to take until you you review all the compensation and get it to market level? And remember, this has changed over the years, and there's different driving forces that have affected this. So the unemployment rate, I think, what I heard the other day was like 6 or 7%. It's very confusing what that actually, what, what makes that up because, you know, there's a lot of different variables. But what, what you know, if you guys think about some of your functions, um, the bigger your organization is, the more you've got to have a feeder system and you've got to have some backups. Um, so again, raises. Okay. Next, I like incentives. So, uh, if raises aren't appropriate, then performance incentives that drive quantifiable revenue per employee. So if you're going to incentivize a, that's why when we incentivize the front desk person, we incentivize them on the most lucrative thing, which is getting a new patient in the door. I mean, hands down, that's the most lucrative thing that can happen in a day for future revenue. You know, if you, uh, if you, uh, thinking about a hygienist, you're thinking about looking at some statistics around their overall production or collections during a month, and if they drive that up, let them participate. The more those can be associated with the thing, something quantifiable, they do the better. Uh, we have a thing we do called the bell ringing bonus. Uh, the bell ringing bonus, uh, if if you can't seem to get your hands around anyone, then do something with a group setting. So, for instance, uh, you can do annual bell ringing bonuses where you say, okay, here's our annual target, and if we hit this, here's what everybody gets. These are, you know, 
certainly right timing right now that's not these are easy to do you know you, you should have started this at the beginning of the year but sometimes you could pick a month and say okay if we get this everybody gets that those are engaging uh, deferred compensation is nice because it keeps people you know thinking about earning that money um, so and then remembering that when you do raise pay, please raise expectations commensurately. It's the only way it works for the corporation. You know, what a lot of people do is they raise the pay and they don't raise the expectations. So if I'm going to raise someone's pay, I'm also going to raise their expectations. And you want to have that thought out, you know, sort of in advance. Uh, okay, team, I'm being very specific. Okay, if I work for you and I refer someone and you hire them, how much do you pay me? Listen, this is cheap. Whatever that number is now, double it. So if you're having a hard time recruiting good team members, the easiest thing to do is at this team meeting you're going to do is to announce the new program that you just created that if you refer a team member who we hire, you'll get $500 when they start. And, if they've, and then once they've been there six months, you get another 500 bucks. And, you know, why wouldn't you pay $1,000 to a team member to get another team member? Um, so, you know, if you're giving them 50, that's not enough. So immediately raise those team bonuses at least through the end of the year if, you're, if it scares you, right? But I think those are winning things. Patience. Don't be afraid to recruit through patients. So if you have some kind of a newsletter you do for patients or emails you send out to them, there's nothing wrong with saying we're currently looking for someone. If you know anyone, like I wouldn't be afraid of that. That, that can work. When I ask most people where you're recruiting, they're recruiting on the free sites. So you need to set a budget for recruiting and you need to target which jobs. You know, a lot of people are having trouble getting hygienists and assistants. And so you want to so you want to create a, a person and these can even be outsourced or whatever. But it's a it takes a lot to recruit people. And, and, and I know for me, as an example, I'm my schedule is pretty busy. So if you all of a sudden said, Jay, well, you need to recruit for a person, I, I don't have time. I mean, I, I, I would have to move something around, right? I mean, I, and so that's why I have a person who does the recruiting, right? I have a person who does that function. And they've got time to run the ads, take time to interview the people, takes time to, you know, so all I got to do is say, listen, here's what I need. And they start working on that. And in a little while, I have some candidates because it's a lot of work. So you're going to need... And again, remember, what's the cost of not doing it? Well, the cost of not doing it is the reduction in whatever those people are generating. And it's it's right off the top. I mean, and if you're constantly understaffed, listen, some doctors think that, you know, the only time that you should hire a new employee is if, you know, I don't know. I don't, they don't even have a formula, you know, but capacity is about, staying ahead. I mean, if if one team member goes on vacation and all of a sudden now we have to have a deduction, that means that you have, uh, you, you're under staffing. And remember, how we get good at this is quantifiable revenue per employee. 
I mean, if I'm going to hire somebody, I'm going to make the revenue go up. So please make sure that you are actually developing some of these things. Now, one of the things that I wanted to do is I'm going to have my office send you something and I put on the calendar this year for October to do um, an, a two-day event in Atlanta on culture. And, you know, I, I did the first one, and it was tremendous. Um, and I really thought I wouldn't do another one, and then the pandemic came. And when I started thinking about what kind of events I wanted to do this year or next year, the the number one thing, like what I always do, and you guys may or may not know this, but if, if, if you see me do an event, uh, do you know what that is? That is the current topic that I see as the greatest need. Doesn't mean the doctors all see it as the greatest need because sometimes they can't see it until it becomes a crisis. But what I do is I pick out, I look at, and remember I have thousands of clients, so I look at that laboratory and I say to myself, what do I see brewing ahead? And I pick a topic, and that topic has to be ahead of the problem, not behind the problem. So what was crazy is I, I did this event on culture a couple of years ago uh, ahead, and then I watched what happened when people went through the pandemic. They were like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I knew that stuff. I mean, my culture was so much better. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And then all of a sudden, that we had what happened in the pandemic, which was a whack to everybody's culture. And I was like, okay, if you guys want me to do an event, it's the only event I'm going to do because it's what I think is most important. It's what I'm going to be working on personally. So in October, I'm going to do that. But, but what we've been doing differently is that we are actually running a series right now. And my team is teaching these lessons going up to Culture Fest. So I'm going to send you a special scholarship offer and that scholarship what it's going to do is it's going to allow you to come to the october 22nd and 23rd event and to learn everything to get you started on how to create a great culture but what i'm doing is a little differently uh, in what I'm going to send you guys is that, and, and, and listen, my guarantee to you is this, is that this will be the, the greatest event you've ever attended in culture or you can have your money back guaranteed. So no risk for you at all. But what I also wanted to do, and we have social distancing place. This is a guaranteed live event. By the way, I told, you guys may not have heard this, but my coaching clients, so when I did this event for them, I said, listen, We'll make a decision June 30th about we're either going to refund everybody's money or do it. And we think we're a go based on what's happening with vaccines. We have it currently set up to social distance, um, but we didn't want to do it virtual. So this is not a virtual event. Like I, I made the agreement with my team. If, if you have to convert this to virtual, I don't want to do the event. Just send everybody their money back. So every tuition dollar that's been paid is just sitting in an account because I didn't want to have that liability if I couldn't do the event live. So you would get a scholarship to attend the event. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this event um, and, and really more about the meeting because we did it. And the last time I had very restricted seat covenants. So 
What this is, is depending on the size of your office, you want to pick the number of people who would who would have the power to basically flip everyone else. And so the first year I did is I only limited everyone to three seats. And what happened was they didn't all get that right because if you had 20 people in the office and three went to Culture Fest and one of them was a bad pick, that leaves you with two. And now two have to sort of flip the 20. So the way you really want to do this is to think about your organization and go, wow, you know, now, I get some of you are going to just want to see this. So I'm a scholarship user. You can come and see this, and then, you know, you get serious about it. But, but you really, you know, want to move the organization. So if you think about it this way, it's like if, if there was 20 people in an organization, how many does it take to win over the 20? All right. So mathematically, that's what I was teaching clients. So a lot of my clients are bringing much larger groups. But, you know, when we did it last time, Everyone who came by themselves couldn't just was just regretting that they came by themselves because, by the way, these events are fantastic. I mean, and what's great about events, events are when you want to get completely indoctrinated into a topic and you want to be good at that topic and you want to it's the starting point to a surge of knowledge, which then you're always you always possess that knowledge. But here's what's important about what I'm sending you is that right now, we, so for instance, um, in February, we did a, a series, my team taught how to make your culture count. I'm actually looking at ours, our culture, culture calendar. The next one was about contests. I think I'm doing one on how to retain talent. Uh, there's one on coaching, uh, HR. So we're actually doing lessons leading up to culture that you could have access to so that when you get to the event, you've actually kind of got a, a jump on things in terms of your company culture. But I'm telling you right now that I believe, and remember, you, you came to say, okay, how do I stop losing good team members? How do I see that? There's some technical things I gave you you can do, but really what you want to do is elevate to realize that the bigger solution to this, because there's a lot of little problems that happen in organizations when the culture isn't right. And what people don't realize, and, and by the way, I've owned a business for 30 some plus years and I didn't always even, I didn't understand what culture was. It took me a long time. People just say culture, I was like, ah, culture, it's soft. But I, I really learned that there's so much more to it. So the, the event is guaranteed to be live. Uh, you guys are, can access a scholarship. And then what I did is the first 10 who respond, we created a super cool package for you guys. So what you would get, because here, here was my goal. You know, when they asked me to do this, I said, yeah, I gave you a lot of very helpful information, right? So you trust me, you got your money's worth. However, look, when I look at it, I think it's about changing things forever. So I know if I could, and look, by October, you know, right now, like at a coaching workshop, 85% of the people last month were were vaccinated so you know when you come to a an event that we're going to do in october you're basically going to be in a you know i'm going to say this room is going to be almost close to 100 percent vaccinated quite frankly because obviously doctors you know we're pretty high on the list so they're they're getting vaccinated so uh, and we're going to maintain some distancing assuming at least that's the plan as it is right now so pretty cool so this is sort of an invitation for you to begin a journey an educational journey 
uh, and begin to get your team involved in it. So the the idea of indoctrinating yourself this year into learning how to have a culture that see because here's what I want you to understand see if you understand culture you're not going to worry about a dental service organization opening up a practice next to you because you know they can't do what you can do like you like if you think that I'm scared that okay and I try to tell my clients oh this is like Right. It's like Nick Saban said this to us. He said, we've won most games before we ever show up on the field because the other team is mentally lost before they even get there. And so true. Right. You know, they're thinking, oh, man, we're going to get slaughtered. And of course, then, you know, you get you the one who wins. The coach taught him not to think that way. But you've got to remember that the the competitive advantage in the future for a doctor who wants to have an independently owned thriving practice is going to be culture and it's going to be the patient experience. And man, listen, this whole movement of consolidation, these guys, I have, I've had so many clients have sold their practices and they were sold that these dental service organizations were going to do such a better job at all of these things. That, that's not accurate. They actually do worse. They, they don't they don't get more new patients. As a matter of fact, some of their processes they put in place are terrible. They don't improve customer service. They don't improve culture. And so what the, the greatest advantage you're going to have is having the – and again, it's like I don't – it's like the only people that need to know you have a great culture is you, the people who work there, and the patients. And when that's enough because then they'll tell people and people will experience you and that's the deal. This isn't something that, you know, you put in an advertisement or whatever. But you, when you have good culture and when you learn what it takes to have good culture, you learn that most people won't do it. And they're just not committed to it. They don't understand it. Their self-interest always governs. I mean, the reason why most people go crisis to crisis to crisis is because, quite frankly, it's all they're worried about is themselves. And that's not how you're going to have a great business. So I want to invite you into – I'll scholarship your seat, substantial scholarship – get you a package it gets you started immediately you can listen to these things in the car or whatever and i will guarantee you that in in a year you would make the single i mean you would make the like all of a sudden what you're going to realize is that this all these little irritating problems that you've had in practice over the years are all a byproduct of somebody not owning culture and putting together a fantastic effort to drive that culture and i'm going to tell you this is the powers in the decision. So if you dial the number, fill in the thing, that's all you got to do. Accept the scholarship, get the materials, show up. That's it. Like a magic trick, you know, but that's what's required to move this thing forward. So um, guaranteed, you know, I, people always ask, where should I invest? Where should I invest? And the answer is always, you know, it comes back to, to your company, you know, like you invest, this is an investment in you and your company and your people. I had never gone wrong investing in my people. It just doesn't, it's almost like it's virtually impossible to do. So grab the scholarship. Uh, we're working on uh, some tremendous speakers. We're about to announce the lineup. I won't do it today, but uh, you'll be very happy with some of the speakers we're going to have at that event. All right, listen, appreciate you. And I know you are going to get out there and 
tomorrow, remember, put a smile on your face, say please, say thank you, sit down with your most important people, make sure they're happy, listen to what they're saying, and then commit to, you know, one of the things I did with coaching clients is I made this hat for them and it said, doc, you know, it said, I own culture. So I want you to imagine right now that I'm putting a hat on you, a baseball hat, and it says, I own culture. And you do own culture. And, you know, tonight may be that pivotal night where you either decide to do something with that or you just sort of let it, you know, kind of die on the vine for a lack of a better descriptor. So, all right, we'll talk soon. Appreciate you. Bye. Hope you enjoyed part two of this special edition. If you're interested in joining us at Jay's event and accepting his scholarship, visit www.jgeierlive.com today. Scholarships and seats are limited.